If you spend any time on Twitter, especially on the VC or supply chain side of things, you've likely seen the insights of Brian Alway. He coined the term, the world is a supply chain, and he doesn't just coin terms, he invests them too. His company, Refashion, invests in companies that are retooling how we strategize different supply chains to not only save money, but save Mother Earth. In addition to trying to save the environment, he also focuses his investment funds towards female and POC founders, which are markets of ideas that have been historically overlooked. Welcome into another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. I am your host, Blythe Brumley, covering how your favorite things and people get from point A to point B. In this episode, Brian joins the show to talk about some of his favorite companies he's invested in, what made these companies so special, his passions, and how he's investing in a better supply chain world. Let's dive in. From the guest who has coined the term, the world is a supply chain, Mr. Brian Awe is joining the show. He is the next-gen supply chain tech VC specialist. He's the co-founder of Refashion Ventures the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation, and the New York Supply Chain Meetup. Brian, it's an honor to finally get you on the show. I feel like I've been chasing you down for months, and then now we're making it happen. It's the perfect week to do it, so welcome in. I feel like it's the other way around. I've been waiting for... I'm like, when is Blythe going to have me on her show? (laughs) What do I have to do to get on (laughs) Blythe? Well, we're here. (laughs) We're we're finally having the conversation. And what... I I mean, it really is like a a perfect opportunity to, to get you on the show as we talk about all of the things that are affecting the global supply chain this week. You're the perfect person to sit down and have this conversation with. But for folks who may not be aware of, of your background and how you got into supply chain, can you give us a little bit of a rundown? Yeah, so this is this is something I started thinking, thinking about perhaps in 2015. And, you know, the, the, the impetus at the time was I was trying to figure out what I should specialize on as a venture capitalist. And just in thinking about where I thought the world was heading, I began to think about, about supply chains. And the, the catalyst for why I think supply chain is really where all the action is going to happen in early stage uh, technology is... Uh, one, geopolitical tensions are going to keep increasing, uh, and we see that with the United States and China, the West and Russia this week uh, and, and last week. Uh, number two, the climate crisis is going to keep getting worse, and this is something that Craig has asked me about in the past. And number three, human beings are continue to uh, uh, will continue being impatient and consuming a lot and so on and so forth. And so you put those three things together and it said to me that, that, that supply chains are going to keep coming under increasing pressure and there's going to be a need to invest in them and to innovate in the way that we manage, we design, manage and, and run them. And so that's, that's where the, the choice to focus on supply chain as a, an area of investing at the early stage came from. Um, and notice, I talk about supply chain, not logistics. I think there's a big difference. I often say to LPs that we're talking to about our fund, that one difference between us and some of the other funds that they might encounter, although there aren't very many, is that we really think of supply chain in its full scope from end to end across industries. Some of the other funds are more focused on logistics more specifically. Uh, but that's that's a bit of a rundown of where the, the motivation comes from. 
And, and so I love that you bring up the geopolitical angle because I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's no secret that supply chain got sexy over the last couple of years. It went mainstream. That's where a, a lot of sort of regular regular day folks are, are starting to... Even my grandma asked me about the supply chain last week. And I tried my best to answer it. I went from being not very cool with my son to being to being actually quite <laughs> quite cool. So, <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, you're you're right yeah. in the same boat. I think with a lot of us that, that we're starting to get asked these questions, and it's a complicated thing. You feel like you, you got to look down at your watch and ask yourself how much time do you have because <laughs> I can explain for hours on what all the issues are. Um, but from a yeah. geopolitical angle, you know, I, I've, I've seen some stories. I think you actually tweeted a story um, that this morning about how Japan has now has two container ships that are fully automated. Uh, you know, I hear about the rest of the, the sort of the, the global supply chain and how a lot of their ports are, are, are fully automated. The U.S. is lacking, though, in that regard. So, so what does the U.S. do you think needs to prioritize in order to start getting back on the right track as far as, you know, our, our national supply chain? This is a question I don't think I am qualified to answer very well because I, I haven't spent a lot of time studying a politics. Um, and I think one of the things that is really interesting about supply chains is that it's not just technology. It's not just corporations deciding what they want their value chains and their supply chains to look like. It's not just people. It's not just culture. It's all these things intertwined with one another. And so I think what we see happening in other countries is that at a national level, there is a strategy in place. There's a way of thinking about these things in place that allows the federal government uh, working with local with local uh, uh authorities to say we're we're going to to embark on a strategy to automate as many of our ports as we can right just because this is going to be the downstream effects of that of that decision and those choices and i think that's not something that is easily doable in the united states just because of the way the political system is set up and so i think that process is much more complicated in the united states than it is for example in singapore or in the netherlands or maybe even in china and so perhaps what it takes is some sort of congressional action to say that this is an issue of federal importance and this is something that the federal government is going to have some significant purview over and then the federal government goes ahead and pushes through those sorts of, of initiatives that's the best that's the best answer I can give um, uh, if I tried to say anything more I would be I would be I would be BSing. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I can curse. I'm not sure if I can curse on air, but I would be BSing if I tried to say anything more <laughs> No, we, we appreciate an honest answer around here. Um, so let's actually talk about your company, Refashion Ventures, because half of your portfolio is female founder, female founders in supply chain tech. And you, you listed a stat too on, on the Twitter page, which I'll link to in the show notes. So in case anyone's interested in, in, in following along with Refashion, they can, they can check out some of the information. But a stat from 2022 says that Black and Latina women founders received less than half a percentage point of the 166 billion dollars that were allocated in VC funding. Why do you think that there is such a discrepancy between funding and how and how is refashioned hoping to solve that? 
I don't know if we can solve it. We're one, we're one tiny little fund. I don't know if we can solve it. But I'll tell you what we have seen uh, since we, since we uh, started investing in July uh, of 2021. And, and we're lucky to have Craig, um, CEO of FreightWaves, as, as an LP in the, in the fund. What we've seen is that without really trying very hard and without uh, necessarily having the resources that much, much larger funds have, we're getting a lot of submissions from, uh, from startups with women as their founders. And when we look at the submission, so the way it works is, you know, go to our website. There's a there's a data intake form. Uh, we ask you a few questions. You upload your deck. We take a look at it. Um, people we know can send us emails, but invariably the, the the best way is to direct the founders to the data intake form. And then we take a look at the submissions, and you know, lo and behold. We have a lot of we have a lot of startups with women with with women as the founders and the CEOs without trying too hard, and you know they're building very exciting very exciting uh, problems uh, uh, solutions and innovations in in supply chain. I can't wait for us to be able to talk about them more. And so I think it's. And some of the conversation on Twitter, if you've been paying attention, is is you know ban warm intros, open up your network, and so on and so forth. And I think there's some truth to it, even if Twitter, uh, even if Twitter does not enable a really deep and incisive uh, conversation to, to take place. I think when you get rid of the warm introductions, when you look beyond your immediate network, when you say we're looking for in our case, we're looking for anyone building anything that has to do with supply chain technology. We don't care what you look like. We don't care what you come, where you come from. Well, right now we have to focus on the United States for the most part, but hopefully at some point we'll be able to invest uh, uh, globally. Then I think you'll see a lot from founders who do not fit the, the typical uh, uh, stereotype. Um, and so maybe getting to the point where other investors realize that this is one approach to take. I don't know if it's the right approach. It's early days. But but getting other investors to realize that there's a lot that's happening outside of their immediate uh, networks, perhaps that's one approach to solving the problem. Are are there any female founded companies that you that that you, you mentioned that you were excited about that you that you could share now or or are those still kind of under you know just lock and key until that all the, the I guess the paperwork gets finalized? So three of them unfortunately are still under lock and key. <laughs> three of them unfortunately are still under lock and key. But uh, 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 some that I can talk about. So one is a company called Stimulus. Uh, Stimulus is one of our first investments in sourcing and sourcing uh, uh, technology and sourcing and procurement is an area that doesn't get a lot of the limelight uh, when it comes to investments but it's it's a really key it's a really key area of the supply chain because basically if you use any sort of product that you bought from from anyone um, you know, there had to have been someone who sourced that product from a vendor. And then after that had happened, uh, procurement had to step in and actually procure the, the product. 
um, and then distribution takes place and you can buy it and so on and, and so forth. So if, if you think about all the commerce that takes place in the world between uh, businesses, you know, direct with people, businesses and businesses, sourcing and procurement is involved in everything. Um, and, and again, like I said, this is an area that has been starved of capital for, for innovation. And so we think as we, as we experienced during the pandemic, right, so people couldn't be in the office if your sourcing and procurement was outdated and relied on people being able to work together, then you were at a real disadvantage. And so I think companies are starting to invest much more in that area. And so we're very excited about stimulus. Another company that I can talk about is um, a company called True to Form. True to Form, when you look at it now, appears to be in the business of capturing um, the human body, uh, 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 the, 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 the measurements of the human body and enabling um, uh, fashion and apparel designers to use that in designing their products. What we think true to form really is ultimately is a way to capture any sorts of dimensional data on physical objects. And then to use that information to create a digital twin, which people can use to manage the assets, the physical assets in their supply chain. And so we're very excited about that. And then the third one is a company called Wearwell. And Wearwell is an e-commerce platform for sustainable uh, fashion. Uh, one of the things we discovered through some of our grassroots community building work is that people want to shop for sustainable products. The problem they encounter is that this requires a lot of research, creates a lot of cognitive uh, overload. And so then they go back to just shopping for the things that they find uh, in the most convenient uh, uh, retail uh, retail outlet. Um, and so what Wearwell does is they do a lot of curation, they curate brands that that meet certain uh, parameters, and then they make it easy for their members to buy to, to buy those brands. So, so those are three that I can talk about um, uh, that we're very excited about. That sounds amazing because I, I think that the second one you mentioned in particular, I would imagine from a, a, a climate change perspective, would help drastically with returns and avoiding the, the the most popular return, which is clothing items that people order online and then they have to return them because they're not fitting correctly. Um, so that's my next question, the, I kind of wanted to. That's the early application. We think we think we think the innovation goes way 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 beyond. Goes way beyond that, but that's the early application. Oh, for sure. I mean, you're you're light years ahead of where I'm. I'm just at the next, you know, sort of checkers piece. But you're out here. You're, you're playing chess, so that's why I talk to smart people like you. And speaking of 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 smart people like you, because you helped actually co-create this one of the best sort of graphics and sort of uh just it, I guess a, a, an image from all of these different companies that have entered in the technology space when it comes to logistics and supply chain. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. when you look at this image, there's so many companies that are on it. Do you think that this is... We're just scratching the surface of this kind of technology? Or do you see in the future where this is going to be kind of consolidated a little bit? I think we're just scratching the surface. I, I think we're just scratching the surface. 
And so remember, I am thinking of supply chain broadly speaking, right? And logistics is one of the three the three uh, major components of, of supply chain. I really think we're just scratching the surface. So broadly speaking, if you believe that the, cli- uh, the climate crisis is going to keep getting worse and you agree that geopolitical tensions are going to keep increasing and we agree that people are going to keep peopling, right? People are going to keep peopling. <laughs> Then, then we're constantly going to need to rethink our supply chains. We're constantly going to rethink how we design them. We're constantly going to rethink how we manage them and so on and, and so forth. And so I think there's constantly going to be this creative destruction that's taking place. And, and frankly, that's one of the things that really excites me about supply chain. I think it was Jeff Bezos who said, you know, people usually ask what's going to change and that's what gets them excited. And at Amazon, they ask what's not going to change. And that's the basis on which they can build a business. The need for supply chains that are efficient, that are resilient, that people can rely on, and so on and so forth. That's not going to change. As long as you have people in the world, we're going to need a, a supply chain. And that's what, that's what gets us, that's what gets us ex- excited. Now, now switching gears a little bit to the, the the social media aspect of things. Now, you're you are very prolific on on, on Twitter, and that's where I, I follow the overwhelming majority of your work. Is it safe to say that that's your your favorite platform to use? And if so, why is why is Twitter your your favorite one? Twitter is one of them. I, I like different platforms for different things. Twitter is great for coming across ideas that perhaps I would not have necessarily thought about myself, uh, things that provoke me to think about things in a different way, so on and so forth. Um, LinkedIn is fantastic for getting, you know, once in a while I'll get something provocative from LinkedIn, but generally LinkedIn is great for, okay, I know what I'm going to, to get. It's going to be professionals. They're going to have a certain point of view. I have a sense of what's going on there. Instagram is fantastic for just showing off, hey, here's a book I'm reading. I don't think anyone's going to leave a comment, but hey, I'll get some likes. And that's fine. That's fantastic. And then uh, Facebook is really for, for you know, closer for friends of mine, you know, people I worked with in the past, people I went to school with and so on, to just give them a sense of what I'm working on. And an interesting thing has happened. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but on two occasions I've posted uh, uh, comic strips, cartoon strips about supply chain. There's one about a kid in, in a classroom, and I think he's giving his teacher an excuse. Oh, my homework got stuck on a ship due to the global supply chain crisis. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't find that. Someone I worked with at Lehman Brothers many years ago saw it and messaged and sent it to me on Facebook and said, "I came running to show this to you because, because I knew you'd appreciate it." And then there was another one. My ex-wife. Um, she saw it and came running and sent it to me on Facebook, right? So each each of them has its has its own role. Um, I, I generally think of social media as a learning device because uh, one of the things I like to do is to learn all the time. And so the different the different um, the different pl- uh, platforms have different uses. What innovation do you think still needs to happen in supply chain or innovations? Oh. So one idea that we 
think about a lot is this notion of everything being able to communicate with everything else. Mm. Um, so everything being connected to everything else because, you know, IT technology is so, so inexpensive and I think we'll continue getting cheaper. Uh, sensors are getting cheaper. Uh, edge computing is getting much more powerful. And so this idea that one, everything can talk to everything else. Two, we're continuing to collect uh, data, more and more data. And three, because everything can talk to everything else and we have the data, we ought to be able to empower people on the front lines of the supply chain with decision-making capabilities that they did not have before. Uh, based on what's happening in real time around them, that's something. That's something I'm really excited about. I, I think I don't think we're there yet, but I think as time goes on, we're going to get closer and closer to 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 to, to the ideal state. Is there something that what that occurred during the pre-COVID era in supply chain that is no longer valid in in today's sort of? I, I would like to say post-COVID world, but we're kind of still in it. Um, but what was something that was true during pre-COVID times that isn't true anymore? Is there maybe more innovation that, that is starting to happen, kind of alluding to what, what, what you had just said? My favorite, my favorite answer to that question is supply chain visibility. Mm. Before COVID, whenever uh, I was around supply chain folks and the topic of supply chain visibility came up. Um, I, I think the general consensus was, oh, yeah, supply chain visibility never going to happen. People keep talking about it and so on. It's never going to happen. I think post-COVID, I think it's become really clear that supply chain visibility is table stakes, so to speak. And the reason supply chain visibility is table stakes is because if you're going to make decisions about your supply chain, you know, whether it's um, let's reroute a major shipment, uh, let's, let's give the customer some alternatives and so on and so forth, where whatever the decision is, you kind of need to know what the state of affairs is in your supply chain. That means you need some visibility into what's going on in your supply chain. And you need not only do you need a visibility, but you need information. Um, uh, so you need data, data that's relevant, timely, comprehensive enough to enable you to make a decision. You need to be able to make the decision. And then after that, you need to be able to execute on whatever you decide to, to do. And the foundation for all of that is some visibility into what's happening in your supply chain. I, I published an article in my in my column, uh, uh, my former column at Freight Waves, um, I think it, I think the title was something like "Supply Chain Visibility is the Backbone of Supply Chain Platforms" or "Visibility is the Backbone of Supply Chain uh, uh, Platforms." And I think there is a greater understanding now, especially especially in big corporations, that. You know, you, you just need to know what's happening in the supply chain. Otherwise, you're at the mercy of, you know, a, a, a severe weather or a lockdown. Or, you know, you wake up in the morning and one country is invading another uh, or there's a pandemic. Um, uh, uh, and the only way that you get around that is with some visibility into what's going on in, in your supply chain. 
Now, from the perspective of, I guess, I, I hate using the word, in, you know, influencers, but that, I mean, that that's really what you are. You're, you're very inspirational as, as far as like following and, uh, you know, the, the, the thoughts that you're trying to, to make, you know, more companies adopt whenever they're thinking about their different decision making. But I'm wondering, where do you get your inspiration from? <laughs> so the thing that really keeps me going, uh, and, and I, I don't talk very much about this in public, but the thing that really keeps me going is basically my upbringing. So if, if you remember what my profile picture on Twitter looks like, it's a picture of me as a teenager. And what I tell people is, you know, I come from a village in northern Ghana. As a teenager, I lived with my grandpa in the village when I wasn't in school. And, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details. He suffered from a chronic case of rheumatoid arthritis. Each night, I, each night we got home from the farm. It was my job to run around and, and try to find pills for him, which he'd take to enable him to go to sleep. And, you know, when, when, you, when you're living life, you just live life. You don't really think about it and you move on. In 2019, as we were working on trying to bring the fund online, I was reading an article about Roche, the Swiss pharmaceutical giant, and they were talking about their supply chains in Nigeria. And basically, if you know what supply chains in Nigeria are like, you, you know what they're like in Ghana. And they said in their supply chains in Nigeria, because the supply chains are so broken, by the time their product gets to the end customer, the product, the prices might have been marked up by between 40% and 700%. And that said to me that when I was running around in the village trying to find these pills for my grandfather, they could have been marked up by up to 700%. You know, and, and my relatives, you know, these are people who live on less than a dollar a day. And that really, that really bothered me. And that said to me, you know, this idea about empowering the innovators and the technologists to help make supply chains more efficient is more than just an intellectual exercise. It's really about improving the lives of people all the way from people at the very top of the social pyramid to people at the very bottom of the social pyramid. And that's, that's really what inspires me and what keeps me going all the other stuff that's 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 not as important <laughs> very well said now now as as i you know sort of the normal everyday folks become more aware of you know supply chain issues and and where they should be buying their goods and where they shouldn't be what can the sort of the normal everyday consumer do to try to make sure that they're buying things that are coming to them at in, in an ethical way what what are some ways that, that that they can try to do the right thing be more aware be more aware and ask more questions uh, be more aware and ask more questions. So the, the reason I'm giving that what sounds like a very simple, maybe even very trivial answer is because, you know, people are busy. People are busy, you know, trying to, to keep their families together, you know, keep their kids in school. They might have uh, uh, elderly parents that they're dealing with and so on and so forth. And so, you know, live your life. Just be more aware. Ask more questions when you can, you know, this brand that I support, do I get the sense that this is a brand that is doing what's right for me as a customer and for the environment? Because they can't claim to be giving you low prices if everything else they're doing is, ru is ruining the environment, right? That it doesn't, those two things are 
not very tenable. Um, and if the answer is no, you know, then consider consider an alternative. And you know, the job of the job that people like me have, our challenge is to make it easy. So that when the ordinary person says, I want an alternative to this brand I've been using for the last five years, that 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 information is easy for them to find. It's easy for them to digest. It's easy for them to make a different choice that is better for the planet, that's better for their families, that's better for for all of us. Um, uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd say as trivial as it sounds, be more aware, be more cognizant of what's going on. Um, uh, uh, stay in touch with your values. If, you know, protecting the planet is something that matters to you, then make the choices that are aligned with that. And, and you know, hopefully people like me will do our jobs. And when you want to make that choice, it will be easy. <laughs> it will be easy for you to do so. Very well said. I, I, I couldn't have said it any better than myself or, or couldn't have said it any better than, than what you just said. Now, uh, Brian, we're up against the clock here. I wish we had more time. I'll link to you in the show notes of where folks can follow more of your work on LinkedIn, on Twitter, as well as Refashioned and the, the local meetups in, in New York that you have for the supply chain community. Big, big thanks to, to you for, for joining the show. Um, and sure. for folks who are interested in watching future episodes of Cyberly, you can catch them right here on Freightwaves every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Once again, my name is Blythe Brumley. You can find more of my work over at digitaldispatch.io. And be sure to stay tuned for more coverage, including more insightful talks from folks like Brian over on the Global Supply Chain Week right here on FreightWaves. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. And if you did like it, I would love if you could rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. It'll take you like two minutes of your time, but it helps a ton for a creator like me to be able to show that review like a badge of honor. And it also helps the show get discovered by others. If you'd like to see more of my work, head on over to digitaldispatch.io. I've got some new content collections under the resources tab for folks who are freight brokers, truckers, carriers, freight agents, and also a best of collection for how to fix your website and how to fix your marketing. It's all completely free. And again, that tab is under resources over on the digitaldispatch.io website. The website also includes some links to our social media accounts, along with my products and services, in case any of that is of interest to you. Once again, my name is Blythe Bremley, and I thank you for sharing your attention with me today. Until next time, have a magical day.